Have you ever been caught up in a love triangle before? Yes, yes. Um, because, well, I have. Granted, it was with the fictional characters of Edward and Jacob, but it counts nonetheless. It absolutely counts. Now, we are going to be looking at tonight during our Story Wars time a biblical story of a love triangle. Now, this story is found in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, and it involves a love triangle. Now, the first part of our love triangle, the tip at the very top, is named Jacob. Now, Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Now, these three men together were called the patriarchs, the patriarchs of God's chosen people. So they were a pretty big deal. Now, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And at this point in Jacob's story, he is at prime marrying age, okay, which in this biblical context is probably about 10 years old or so. No, I'm just kidding. He was older than that. He was older. I didn't mean to freak you out. He was older, not a lot older, but he was older. And he is ready to find himself a lady. Jacob just needs somebody to love. So Jacob, he just needs somebody to love. And he goes out looking for a lady and he finds one. He sees this woman standing there and she's gorgeous. Okay. She's a babe. She's a snack as y'all would say, right? He just, yes, he is in love instantly the second that he sees her. And like all men, you can't resist a pretty lady. I mean, come on. And so he goes up to, her name is Rachel, and he says, Rachel, different Rachel. You're not going to want to be associated with this one tonight as much, okay? Um, so he goes up to Rachel, and he says, I love you. I want to marry you. Basically, that's the consensus. And Rachel becomes the second member of our love triangle tonight. And so in this story, of course, Jacob has to go to Rachel's dad, Laban, and ask for his permission to get married. And so when he goes to him, Jacob's expecting this love story, this fairy tale, everything will end up in happily ever after. But when Jacob goes to Laban, Laban says, I'm really sorry, man. But the problem is, I can't marry off my youngest daughter, Rachel, before my oldest daughter, Leah, gets married. See, back then, if the oldest daughter was not married before the youngest daughter, it brought shame upon the family and upon that daughter. And so this is where it gets a little bit awkward because now... Jacob can't really marry Rachel without bringing shame upon his entire family. And so here comes the entrance of the last member of the love triangle tonight, and her name is Leah. Now, Leah is the oldest daughter, the sister to Rachel, and, well, let's just say she wasn't known for her looks, okay? Rachel was. She was beautiful, but the Bible says that Leah, she wasn't. In Genesis 29, 17, it says there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Ouch. Biblical burn, okay? That would come into my core if someone said that about me. But that's what the Bible says about Leah. She wasn't a looker compared to Rachel. And in Jacob's eyes, all he could see was Rachel. He loved Rachel with all of his heart. And so he ends up cutting a deal with Rachel and Leah's father. And he says, okay, I can marry Rachel. 
if you'll allow me, and I will work seven years for her. I will work seven years for her to win her, to marry her. Now, ladies, take notes. Seven years of courtship, seven years of hard labor for Rachel, and Laban agrees. Now, I think Laban secretly is hoping that in the span of this seven years, Leah will go off and find a husband of her own. And so then by the time it's time for Jacob and Rachel to get married, it will be no big deal. But unfortunately, seven years pass, and Leah, she's still not married. She still doesn't have herself a man, but a deal is a deal. And so Laban gives Rachel to Jacob to be married. And of course, they get to have this beautiful, amazing, romantic wedding. And then it gets to the wedding night. Now, we're in high school. We're not in middle school. So we're going to talk about the wedding night. Now, normally, it's customary for you to consummate your marriage, which is to sleep with your new husband or your new wife. And this is the expectation. But when Jacob goes to his bedroom this night, on his wedding night, it's not Rachel that he ends up sleeping with. It's Leah. Yeah, Laban sneaks Leah into Jacob's bedroom And Jacob doesn't realize, I don't know, I guess because of biblical lighting, I might have been really bad back then. Some certain angles, you know, certain shadows on the face. He has no idea. And he ends up sleeping with the older sister. That's not good. Because back then, you weren't supposed to sleep around with guys you weren't married to. Actually, you're not supposed to do that now either, right? Yes, across the board, shouldn't do that. But back then, it was a huge deal. It's still a huge deal. But back then, it was a huge deal. And so Laban has pulled the whole switcheroo on Jacob. And Jacob doesn't even realize till the next morning. Okay, ladies, sometimes boys can be oblivious. Genesis 29, 25 through 30, 30 says, but when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Well, it's not our custom to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, as if that's totally fine reasoning for what he did to his daughter. It's not our custom, Laban replied. But wait, wait until the bridal week is over, then I'll give you Rachel too, (laughs) provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Laban's a little skeevy, okay? He's a little skeevy guy. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. And a week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Okay, that was messed up, what just happened. Laban is basically treating his daughters as property. He's exchanging them for years and years and years of work. He's really betraying his daughter in this area. So I guess you could say down with the patriarchy. I don't know. Get it? Because he was a part of the patriarchy, Jacob was. You didn't. Fine. It wasn't funny. Okay. So that's what happens. Like, it is so messed up in this story. Now, Rachel and Leah, they're not happy about this. Rachel doesn't want to be married to the man that she loves while he's also married to her sister. Leah doesn't want to be treated this way as if she needs to be tricked into getting a husband. But back then, there wasn't much that a woman could do. They were trapped 
in this dysfunctional relationship for the rest of their lives. Love that for them. Um, and so they just decide, okay, we're going to make the most of it, and we're going to sister wives it up. And so like women do, they just they make a schedule um, because the next item on the agenda is for these women to make lots and lots of babies. And so they arrange a schedule in which Jacob gets to sleep with Rachel some nights and Leah others. It's fair, right? Fair is fair. But when it came to love and romance... Jacob only had eyes for Rachel. He never loved Leah, and he never really tried to do more for her than what was obligated. And God saw. He saw how much Leah was hurting, and he helped her. It says in Genesis 29, 31, I love this verse. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. So in the race to procreate, Leah comes first. In fact, she has two bouncing baby boys before Rachel has any. But and back then, that was a huge deal. Not only were women supposed to have lots of baby, they were supposed to have lots of boy babies. Boys were important because they helped protect the tribe. They provided labor. They ensured that property would stay within the family, that the family name would continue on with the line. They also guaranteed assistance in old age because there were old folks homes back in Genesis, okay? And so when a woman was unable to have a baby, especially a boy baby, this was something that was absolutely devastating. Infertility was a crushing stigma for women whose one and only job they felt in the world was to become a vessel for life. So when Rachel was infertile, this was considered to be a denial of blessing of design and desire. It brought shame upon her, ridicule, and jealousy. And Rachel doesn't handle it well. It says in Genesis 31, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous, jealous of her sister. And she pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Yes, slightly dramatic, but also understandable given the circumstances. So after hearing a story like Rachel and Leah's, it can be a little bit challenging to relate it to modern day, especially as a high schooler. It isn't too common that your dad makes your boyfriend wait seven years to marry you while he makes him work, and then he marries off your sister instead. But the part that I think that we all can relate to is that we constantly compare ourselves to each other on a daily basis. Nowadays, we have comparison at our fingertips. You open up your phone and you have Instagram right there. And that just is like you just transport yourself into a comparison trap. You're, going, you're scrolling through and you're comparing your appearance, your likes, comments, uh, traveling, money, family, all of that. And then we go to school and we're constantly comparing ourselves there too. We're trying to see like fitting in with all the style trends. You've got the sports, like awards, achievements, grades, popularity, relationships, and the list goes on. Man, comparison is everywhere and it has existed for as long as humans have. We see that in the story about Rachel and Leah. They are two sisters who want what the other one has. Rachel wants her husband all to herself, and she wants to have kids and have a family with this man that she loves. 
And Leah wants to look like Rachel. She wants to be seen as beautiful in her husband's eyes. And she wants to be loved by Jacob the way that Jacob loves Rachel. Like Rachel and Leah, I have struggled with comparison, and I have since I was little. I'm an only child, and some of you might think that that makes it easier to deal with comparison, but honestly, let me tell you, it's very wrong. <laughs> honestly, I, the only thing that I had to compare myself to was my parents. And my parents, I wanna say, they are amazing. They're so supportive. Being an only child, I have an amazing bond with them. But both of them are very successful in their lives. And having successful parents means that they had really high expectations for me. And so I started to compare myself like with their future career, my intelligence, uh, work ethic, with someone like my dad who graduated with a master's degree in finance and has been working for the same company for 30 years. He is so wise, full of knowledge, and has so much grace for people in his life. And, and it's just so admiring to look up to. And then I'd, I would do the same thing with my mom. She is so self-disciplined. She has just an awesome head on her shoulders. And she has great personal fitness. Like that woman, oh my gosh, all she eats is like salad and like a granola bar. I swear, I don't know how she, I don't know how she survives. <laughs> but she's also, like she's so self-disciplined, so motivated. And it's so cool to see. And after 20 years of putting up with me and being a full-time mom, she actually went back to work and is now just doing so amazing there and her efforts are paying off. So having these parents who are just so awesome held high expectations for me and I wanted, I started to realize that they had these high expectations for me and I started to see that in their reaction to different things that I did in my life. So if I got good grades or if I won my tennis matches or I even just like woke up in the morning early and went for a run, they like, they'd praise that so much. They'd be like, yes, like good job, you're awesome. I get this great reaction from them. Now when I didn't overachieve or I didn't live up to those expectations, I didn't necessarily get like a harmful reaction from my parents but I didn't get that same reaction. I didn't get that ice cream trip. I didn't get that like great job, amazing. Like I didn't get that reaction that I craved so desperately. This led me to compare myself with the success that my parents had and the success that they expected from me. I took this comparison and I let it just seep into everything else in my life. Now, unlike Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, my love triangle was more of a battle between me, myself, and I. Not only was I comparing myself to my parents, but I also started comparing myself to other versions of me that were either better or worse than the current version. I would love myself when I was getting good grades. I would love myself when I was like killing it in my sport, doing awesome in tennis. And I would love like making my friends like laugh at my jokes and it was like super awesome. But then if I wasn't doing those things, I started to dislike myself. If I got a bad grade on a test or if I was struggling in my sport and not doing super well and just not at a great place or if I like put on more weight or had more acne than some of my friends did. I felt like a failure. This love-hate relationship with myself was built on this false idea that everyone else was doing better or expecting more from me than what I had to give. 
I was filling my tank with the affirmations and opinions of others, and my tank was being emptied by not living up to others' expectations or measuring up to my family and friends' success. This comparison that I had built up in my head as a battle between past and present and future versions of myself started to affect everything else around me. Not only was I comparing myself with myself and my parents, I started to compare myself to my best friends, the people who were supposed to support you and love you. I saw my two friends who were beautiful, blonde, fit, funny, and I just wanted to be everything that they were. And I was focusing on the things that I wasn't compared to them. And it started to ruin my relationship with them in ways. I spent way too much time comparing my tennis skills and my strategies with the person who was the best on our team, who had been playing since she could like barely walk and hold a tennis racket. I was comparing my skills and I was starting to doubt that I was meant to be in that position. And I started to compare my accomplishments with the accomplishments of my loved ones, when instead, I should have been focused on lifting them up and celebrating them. But I couldn't get out of this headspace of comparing myself with them, so instead, I didn't celebrate them the way that I should. I wonder if Rachel ever felt happy for her sister Leah when she was bringing new life into the world. What an awesome moment. I wonder if Rachel was ever like, wow, I'm so happy for my sister. Or if, like me, she was caught up in comparison and let the jealousy get in the way of celebrating such a special moment with the person that she loved. I wish I could say that the list ends there, but my mind was made up of comparisons and expectations that I couldn't reach. Not because I wasn't good enough, but because they were never meant for me. God had another purpose for me. So much like Alexa, I also really struggled with comparison. But unlike her, I actually had siblings. I had a sister to compare myself to all of the time, just like Rachel and Leah. And I remember I used to struggle this so, so much. I used to be so discontent when I would look at my sister and I would see everything that she was compared to who I was. See, we were such different people from each other. When I looked at her, I saw someone who was superior to me in every single way. The biggest was that people actually seemed to really, really like her, which wasn't necessarily the case with me. Sometimes, I mean, people like adored her. How could you not when a person is as sweet and kind and genuine as she is? She's always smiling and she just had this way about her that made everyone in the room feel good about themselves and made them feel accepted. She had so many friends. It seemed like she got friends so, so easily. It was like she was freaking Mother Teresa, okay? Like everybody loved her. Meanwhile, I had RBF and braces, and it felt like you couldn't pay a person enough to want to be friends with me. People would always come up to me, and they would say, oh, my God gosh, I love your sister. She's so sweet and so wonderful. And I would want to punch them in the face, okay? But not necessarily because they liked her, but because I was willing to bet that no one had ever gone up to her and said the same things about me. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle other people looking and loving my sister because of my own 
insecurity. How sad. How sad is that? I resented my sister's happiness. I resented my sister's relationships and her success. I resented the way that people loved her and how easily things came to her. Like Rachel and Leah, she became my competition rather than my confidant, rather than my cheerleader, rather than my biggest supporter. My sister became the thing that reminded me that I didn't like myself. And it ended up ruining our relationship. Also, like Rachel and Leah, I couldn't be content with God's intentions and plans for me because I was way too busy comparing myself to who my sister was. Now, the interesting thing about comparison and how it shows up in our lives is that it can either lead to pride or to self-pity. You can either think, poor me, I'm not good enough, the world hates me, which is the self-pity. Or you can think, man, (laughs) I'm doing pretty good compared to that person. I look good, I feel good, I'm successful, I'm getting good grades, I'm doing amazing. It can either lead to those two things. Now, in Leah's case, I believe that comparison really led her to pride. Because though she didn't love have the love of Jacob and though she wasn't the most beautiful, she felt like she was winning compared to Rachel because she was able to have those babies. And she constantly rubbed it into Rachel's face. In fact, she even named one of her boy children Gad, which means how fortunate am I? How fortunate am I? I bet Rachel wanted to deck her when she heard that she named her child that. Now, in Rachel's case, I believe she chose the other side of the coin, the self-pity. Rather than focusing on the things that she did have, which we, she was so fortunate. She had such an amazing, loving husband that was willing to work 14 years for her. She was beautiful. Instead of focusing on those things, she chose to focus on the things that she didn't have, which were babies. And she began to act like a victim with a poor me attitude. I want to bring that verse back up again, that Genesis 31. Remember it says, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having children for Jacob, she became jealous and she pleaded, give me children or I will die. Self-pity. And I did the same exact thing. I thought, poor me, poor Madeline, how come nobody likes me? How come nobody understands me? Why does the world always seem to be coming against me? Give me acceptance or I'll die. But eventually I had to decide enough, enough, enough letting comparison ruin my relationship with my sister, enough letting it ruin God's purpose for me and my confidence in myself. I am not a victim, not a victim. God designed me differently from my sister, and that's okay. He had different plans for me than he did for my sister. I don't need to be like who she is because there's no contentment in that. If I were like my sister, I wouldn't be able to accomplish the things that I was created to do. She was created to help people with love, compassion, and understanding. And I was created to help people too, but differently, with tough love, strength, and empowerment. My circumstances didn't need to be changed. My perspective did. My personality didn't need to be changed. My looks didn't need to be changed. My perspective is what needed to be changed. I didn't need what my sister had to be happy. 
didn't need all of those things. I needed to be me. I needed to choose contentment over comparison, contentment over pride, contentment over self-pity. So when I went to college, my comparison struggles continued. In this season of my life, I had to rely on my personal relationship with God to get me through this season. I was comparing myself with everyone around me who also had no idea what they were doing, but in my brain, they seemed like they had it all together somehow. I hated my major. I was struggling so hard to find friends and to fit in and find my place. But the worst thing about it all was that I missed my family. I missed my friends. I missed the support system that I had back home. I had to choose in this moment to stop comparing and trust that maybe, just maybe, God had a different plan for me. I had chosen a school that was not meant for me. I had chosen a career path that God didn't have planned for me. This came about because I chose to seek the approval of man rather than the approval of God. But when I realized things were falling apart, I knew I had to make a change. Now, I'm going to be honest with you all. This season of my life, I, I was really sad. I'm usually the person that like walks into a room and I'm like positive and upbeat, always finding like optimism and everything. Like God is good. Woo, everyone, why are you all high? like why are you all just staring at me like that? What? 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 <laughs> but I'm gonna be honest. In this season of my life, that wasn't me. I was struggling to find joy in the things that usually made me happy, because I was living out a calling that wasn't mine. And it started to take away from who I was. Comparison had stolen my joy, my peace, and also my purpose in this moment. I knew that I needed to make a change and seek my creator's approval rather than my friends, my family, my professors, you name it. I couldn't continue chasing what everyone else had. I couldn't continue chasing the success that they were experiencing or the ideas that they had for my life. These things were coming from people who loved me, but they weren't coming from God. I couldn't keep trying to live my life based on someone else's purpose. Don't set expectations for yourself based on someone else's purpose. When we tally up all the thoughts that we have in our head about how we could be better or we could do things better or we could be more like that person or do this or do that, we lose track of our purpose and we can miss out on what God is telling us. We can miss out on what God is calling us into that isn't like anything that he's given to anyone else. I was working towards something that I was not called to do in that first semester of college. So I chose to ask God what his plans were for my life. After going back and forth on my decision and trying to figure out what God's plan was and what he was saying, I heard him gently say, go home. I decided to transfer back home and go to CMU. And people around me did not get it. They were so confused. They were like, why? Like, that was your original plan. Like, why aren't you sticking to what you initially wanted to do? It didn't make any sense to those around me. I was so afraid 
of being a failure, that people would look at me and be like, man, something must have happened. Like, she must have, like, failed or, like, dropped out or, like, what, like, what did she do? Like, how, like, how, like, how is, I was so worried about what people were thinking about me in this moment. But ultimately, in that moment, I decided to remind myself that I was comparing myself to what other people expected me to be and not what God had intended for me. Ultimately, no one else's opinion matters when it comes to our purpose. As a child of God, the only opinion that matters is God's. After making this decision to come home, everything started falling into place. God showed me that my passion for working with kids could turn me into a future career. I, I changed my major and I went into elementary education instead. And I started volunteering at the church and it ignited my passion for ministry and telling people about the word of God and who he is. And I started to pour into the tennis community and I started coaching and just pouring into that community more than I ever thought that I could. I realized in this moment that God had plans for me here in Grand Junction in this season of my life that I never would have seen if I would have just allowed myself to keep comparing my life with those around me during that first semester of college. I had to take a leap of faith and choose to trust God. God created us for a purpose that is special only to us. When we choose contentment and we block out that temptation to compare, Man, he reveals stuff about us that only, only he knows. And he shows us our purpose. We shouldn't settle for what others have when God has more prepared for us than we can even imagine. In Psalm 139, 13 through 14, it says, You formed my innermost being shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. We are wonderfully and mysteriously complex. Comparison is inevitable. Like I said earlier, we have it at our fingertips. But when we choose to hand it over to God and say, what do you say about me? Who am I? He will show you. He will tell you. And he will promise you that you have a purpose that only you can fulfill. Maybe you're like me. And you've compared past and current versions of yourself, which have affected all aspects of your life. Maybe you're like Madeline and comparison is destroying a relationship with someone that you love. Or maybe, maybe you're like Rachel and Leah and comparison is leading to pride or self-pity. No matter what situation it is, I want all of you in the room to start thinking about where you've seen comparison come up in your lives. Go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads, this is our first step in just kicking comparison out of our lives. I don't want you focusing on anyone else around you in this moment. This is between you and Jesus. No one else matters right now. What areas of your life have you allowed comparison to take hold of and drag you down? What relationships 
have you allowed comparison to come in and damage with someone that you love? Think about those places, those people right now. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe you're always comparing the way that your body looks to someone else's. Maybe if you're like, man, if I could just be as pretty as she is, I'd be so much better. Or maybe, man, if I could just be as strong as he is, if I could have the muscles like, like he does, people would like me more. I might get a, I, I, people just might view me differently if I looked like that. Maybe it's your grades. You can't stop comparing your success with other people and it's tearing you up inside and you're putting your identity into that. You can't stop comparing your personality with people around you. You're like, man, if I could just tell jokes like that person, if I could just talk to people like she does, I would have so many more friends. Maybe it's your goals. You have a dream job, a dream school, a path that you feel so confident that God is calling you into. But other people's goals might sound cooler or more interesting. You've always wanted that goal, that dream, but it doesn't sound as cool. Maybe for you, comparison has led to self-pity where you are always feeling bad about yourself or for yourself. Maybe it's led to pride and you're constantly thinking that you're better than others in different ways. Now I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing in front of you right now. He's looking at you with so much love, peace, kindness. He's so in awe of who you are in his creation. Man, he is in love with you. He thinks that you are more than enough. Now I want you to hand over to him. He's right there in front of you. Hand over all the times that you've let comparison negatively impact your view of yourself or the things that he's called you to. Lay them at his feet. Think about Rachel and Leah. They didn't need their circumstances to change, but they did need to change their perspective. They needed to look at what God was doing in their lives instead of focusing on what he was doing in someone else's. How does your perspective need to change right now, starting tonight? With every eye still closed, your head still bowed, we're gonna talk to Jesus about it right now. Dear Jesus, first of all, we wanna ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness for comparing the way that you made us so wonderfully and mysteriously complex others. Forgive us for believing that the things you've put on our heart are inferior to those around us, the way that you made us. Lord, we know that you have a plan for our lives and that we need to trust that you knew what you were doing when you placed us here on this world. So Jesus, I break off the spirit of rejection in this room right now. I break off that feeling that we are not enough and that we will always fall short. And instead, I lose your love, acceptance, and value. I also break off the fear of failure in Jesus' name. When we choose to trust you, God, we have nothing to fear. You are in charge of our lives. 
you have never failed us. And Lord, man, we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us choose contentment over comparison in our daily lives and that you would remind us that what you say about us and all that you have in store for our lives is good. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.